today, people see that criticism as somehow tied to you know, who you are as a person. They take it personally. They take criticize it personally. my president, you're criticizing me. me. Right. Yes, it's, it's, you're criticizing my tribe. And I think that tribalism that's grown in our politics in recent years is, is a fairly new phenomenon. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. In a country polarized by politics, this week's news was troubling and traumatic. Former presidents and other government officials targeted by attempted explosives. All of it happening in a political climate already divided with the midterm elections just days away. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dan Spieler. No doubt the elections and events of this week providing quite a backdrop as the president came here to Indianapolis on Saturday to speak to the future farmers of America. The president's political rhetoric also under scrutiny amidst this week's headlines. While he called for unity, he also tweeted this Friday before news of the arrest first broke. Quote, Republicans are doing so well in early voting and at the polls. And now this, quote, bomb stuff happens and the momentum greatly slows. News not talking politics, the president said very unfortunate what is going on and calling for Republicans to vote. Of course, here in Indiana, the midterms continue to get a lot of attention. Now, nine days away this week, the president's son was here to campaign for Indiana Republicans in the midst of a contentious Senate race. Our Trevor Shirley has more. When it comes to national politics, all eyes are on Indiana. I've always been a conservative Republican, and I'm running because President Trump paved the way. If you want me on board, it's got to be good for Hoosiers. Democratic incumbent Senator Joe Donnelly and his opponent, Republican businessman Mike Braun, both within the margin of error in recent polling. It's a race that could determine who controls the Senate for the next two years. And heavy hitters from both sides of the aisle are making political pilgrimages to the crossroads of America. Conservative principles, conservative values. How about maybe a little business experience? That never hurt. This is the most important election you have ever voted in, no matter how old or young you are. In the past two weeks, we've seen the president's own son here stumping for Braun, along with former Vice President Joe Biden hitting the stage for Donnelly. Former President George W. Bush was in Indianapolis last week, also in support of Mike Braun. Down ballot progressive fan favorite Bernie Sanders stumped in Bloomington, campaigning for congressional candidate Liz Watson, who's squaring off against sitting Republican Congressman Trey Hollingsworth. You right here in Indiana, in the 9th District, can in fact play a monumental role in the future of this country. All of this against the president's repeated trips to Indiana over the past six months, including just yesterday. The question, is it enough to sway voters? According to a Gravis marketing poll last week, 44% of likely voters backed Donnelly, followed by 40% for Braun. But it's a difference that's still within the poll's margin of error. Too close for either candidate or their surrogates to slow down now. Reporting for In Focus, I'm Trevor Shirley. All right, thanks. Meantime, this Senate race bringing in record amounts of campaign cash and long lines of early voters. Joe Glavin has more. People who follow politics will tell you there's more money in any race than there was just five or ten years ago, and this race in Indiana is getting a lot of it. Long lines at new satellite early voting sites in Marion County painted the picture. 
Voters are already out in a midterm election that's getting a lot of attention. The numbers are higher than the last midterm election that we had in 2014, and they're nearly close to being where we were from the last presidential election that we had. Those numbers aren't just in Marion County, they're statewide. As of Thursday, nearly 300,000 Hoosiers had cast their early ballots. That's not too far from what we saw in the same period two years ago and more than double the turnout for the last midterms in 2014. In the battle to influence those voters, there's a lot more money in the game, too. It's probably going to approach $100 million just in Indiana if you combine all spending. IUPUI Political Science Department Chair Aaron Dusso has kept a close eye on the race, including the spending. Federal Election Commission data shows the Donnelly campaign has spent nearly $14 million so far and brought even more, $15.5 million. Compare that to Donnelly's last run in 2012 when he spent $5.5 million and his opponent around $8 million. Not to mention independent spending. That's the money behind the unaffiliated ads like these. Donnelly voted against middle-class tax cuts. Mike Braun never cared about us. He never will. That's a whole other you know, uh, pile of money, and that's much more. All right, Jill Glavin reporting. Jill, thank you. Another big story this week in Indiana politics. A special prosecutor deciding not to file criminal charges against Attorney General Curtis Hill, who was accused of groping four women earlier this year. This week, our Trevor Shirley spoke with one of Hill's accusers. I thought it was a pretty thorough investigation. But State Representative Mara Candelaria Reardon still sees fault in how some parts were handled, in particular how investigators interviewed Attorney General Curtis Hill. Do you feel like Curtis Hill was given special treatment? Absolutely, I do. Hill was allowed to videotape his responses to questions administered by his attorney and given to them by Special Prosecutor Dan Sigler. I wasn't given the option of a videotape with several takes or however many takes I needed. I was videotaped giving my statement to police in real time. Sigler said Tuesday that Hill was given no special treatment. He's still a man who committed a sexual battery. He should be treated like any other. Sigler disagreed, deciding not to file criminal charges, believing Hill's intent wasn't provable in court, despite saying he believed Hill's accusers. Candelaria Reardon and those three other women now plan to file a civil suit against Hill. I feel like a, a weight has been lifted from our shoulders when you see the contents of the report and you see the validation. Validation, she says, will still benefit the public even though there won't be a criminal case. I think it's a step forward any time that you shine a light on a predator. Meantime, this statement from Hill's lawyers who say the special prosecutor's investigation exonerates and absolves Curtis Hill of any factual and legal criminal behavior. They say we never doubted that he'd be cleared of any alleged crimes. And they say Hill will continue to serve the people of Indiana in the capacity for which he was elected. Coming up next, back to the race for Senate. I'll go one-on-one -on -one with Senator Joe Donnelly, and we'll also hear from his opponent, Mike Braun. Then, no debate. I'll talk with the candidates in Indiana's 9th Congressional District next. I have a thick skin. Long story short, things don't bother me. Um, I can laugh them off, except when you say that you want to kill me. Then I take that seriously, and a threat to me is a threat to my family. Political threats across the country and also here at home. This text message threatening to kill a candidate for state representative, Amy Neeling. State police investigated. They don't think the threat was credible, and it's not related to the threats across the country. But let's talk big picture today about all of this, about this 
political climate we're living in these days as we bring in our panel, Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens, former state lawmaker Christina Hale, and vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign in 2016, Tony Samuel. Uh, all the news this week, obviously uh, an arrest in, in, in the situation uh, we saw with the suspicious packages uh, that were sent in the mail to two former presidents, current and former government officials as well. We're just starting to learn about potential motives here, but we've seen a lot of people this week saying uh, the political rhetoric uh, needs to be toned down. It does need to be toned down. We've gone much too far in our use of rhetoric and very uh, language that it could be seen as threatening uh, by reasonably threatening by many people, and we just we just need to dial it back. How much responsibility, and I, you guys may disagree on this, do, does the president bear, not for the specific guy who probably had a lot of problems, but for the overall uh, political tone climate in, in this country? I don't think any. I know. Um, uh, Not any? You, you guys, I really don't. Um, there's uh, been an attitude uh, against this president uh, of viciousness since he was a candidate and since the day he took office. Remember Madonna saying on the, on, on the lawn uh, during the, the march or, or when they're on stage that she wanted, she's thought about blowing up the White House. There's been actors, there's been but he's said a lot all of kinds things of as well. He's always, and I know everyone will disagree, and I, I get that. But he always um, responds, and he responds in a way to take the opponent off the field. And, and, and you know, for me personally, I want um, my kids to stand up for themselves, and I think that's what he does. Remember George W. Bush and how his ratings uh, diminished ever so, after 9-11. That's because he was constantly beat down, and he didn't respond. And by the end of his second term, he had the lowest approval ratings of any president. Mission accomplished. I think he did respond. But I think our president, by most, um, most would agree that our president certainly has had a coarser rhetoric than most people in his position to date, certainly in front of the cameras, on social media. Um, he is a name caller. And that was kind of one of the... Um, really pivotal issues throughout his campaign for president was he had Lion Ted, you know, all these different funny little nicknames, funny to him, not so funny to others. And as an example for our young people as well, I can't help but remember uh, then Congresswoman Pat Schroeder talking about civility, civility in government, civility in campaigning and politics back in the 1990s. And I think everyone would really welcome um, a return to more Reagan-like rhetoric where we acknowledge um, our opponents, but with grace and with respect. Well, we've seen obviously this week with these packages, uh, the kind of thing no one ever wants to see. Yes, and, and, and the president just within the last week praised a member of Congress who pleaded guilty last year to assaulting a reporter. That's the type of thing we, don't, we should not be hearing from our commander in chief. Meantime, as we said, all of this happening with just nine days until the midterm elections. Indiana's race for Senate obviously being closely watched. Uh, all the polls showing a, a very close race between Republican Mike Braun and Senator Joe Donnelly, who I spoke with this week. How do you compete with the Trump political machine, the nicknames, everything that comes with it, while also appealing to Trump voters in a state the president won by nearly 20 points? Because it's not about rallies, it's not about nicknames, it's about jobs, and it's about health care, and it's about making sure that paychecks are getting bigger. And since I've been senator, we've had 70 months of consecutive job growth each and every month. I've fought for our health care and was the final vote, the saving vote, for coverage of pre-existing conditions. 
And, and Mike Braun has been against that. And so what families know in Indiana is that I stand for them, and that's, that's what votes are going to be based on. And we'll talk more about health care. I also sure. want to talk about uh, your opponent this week saying your vote against Brett Kavanaugh has invigorated his supporters. Though one recent poll had you ahead by four points, the Braun campaign also put out an internal poll that shows you down by four points, saying, uh, in their words, that the race looks very different than it did before your vote against Kavanaugh. What kind of reaction are you seeing, and could that vote hurt you in this race? Well, the, the last three public polls have all had me ahead. And my job is to make sure that I do what's right for Indiana and for our country. I want Judge Kavanaugh, ju now Justice Kavanaugh, uh, to be a success. I want him to be a good judge. But uh, he, he said in the Wall Street Journal, in an own op-ed that he wrote, he said, my conduct at the hearing uh, was not correct. And that was uh, something that I apologize for. He was uh, struggling temperamentally. He was struggling on impartiality. And for me, I, I view all judges the same. I voted for Justice Gorsuch. I supported him. I would vote for him today. Um, but Judge Kavanaugh, in terms of my test of impartiality and temperament and judicial qualifications, uh, struggled on impartiality and struggled on um, temperament. So while your vote against Kavanaugh uh, may have enthused your, your base, your new ads perhaps have done the opposite, invoking Reagan, calling out some in your party for what you described as far-left policies. From the New York Times this week, they said Senator Joe Donnelly is standing in the most dangerous place in American politics, the middle of the road, as they put it, staking his re-election on a contrarian proposition that in a highly polarized era, there are still enough voters who believe in moderation to give you a second term. Is the middle a dangerous place these days? Not in Indiana, it isn't. I mean, here, we're about solutions. We're about making sure that there are good jobs, that there's good health care, that our kids can get a great education. That's not just moderation, that's common sense, and that's who I represent. I don't serve in the Senate as a Democrat or as a Republican. I serve as the senator from Indiana. You do run as a Democrat and, and obviously caucus with the Democrats and also in recent days, uh, the same week that you put out a new ad calling out socialists for their government-run health care proposals. You had Bernie Sanders right here in Indiana expressing support for your campaign, but also calling for single-payer Medicare for all health care. Tim Swearens of the Indy Star put it this way in a recent column. He said, quote, Democrats keep dragging Donnelly down. Is he right? Well, you know I don't support Medicare for all, We've and, and you know that. I don't support single payer, so I don't know why, um, why that would even be a thought. What I support is good health care, health care that covers pre-existing conditions, health care that makes it so that your child with multiple sclerosis or with diabetes or with arthritis can get coverage. That's what we're about. I, I provided the final vote, the vote that got health care across the finish line. If that vote had been made by Mike Braun, pre-existing conditions coverage for diabetes, for people who have uh, diabetes and need insulin, that insurance wouldn't be there anymore. I was the vote that saved health care for Indiana. But to the point of the, the middle being a dangerous place, is that why I just don't find it a dangerous place. I find it a place where Hoosiers are, that we're not about uh, left or right, red or blue. We're about common sense. We're about making it so that our kids and our grandkids can have a stronger, safer, better America. In the sense that you have others in your party who, who have different views on health care, you're okay with that? Well, there's, there's different views in every party about different issues. I'm Joe Donnelly. I'm running on my issues, and that's what I'm working on every single day is to make sure we have good health care. 
uh, your opponent uh, this past week uh, saying it's time for new blood in Washington. Uh, here, here's what he had to say. I say if we don't get new blood in D.C., people that have done things in the real world expect more of the same. What's your response to that, that a vote for you is for more of the same in Washington? Well, if it's a vote for 70 consecutive months of jobs growth, of increased jobs each and every month, I want more of the same of that. If it's a vote for when I stood there in the breach and saved health care for Indiana, you bet I want more of that. Um, I work for the families of Indiana. I don't work for anybody else. I work with the president when he's right, and when he's not, I tell him a better way to go. I'm the most bipartisan member of the Senate. That's what Hoosiers expect of me. They expect me to make sure that our country is stronger, that our nation is stronger, that our state is stronger. They hired me as the hired help to protect our nation and to move it forward. That's what I do every day, and I'm really proud of it. That on our website and next week, uh, as well as more with Mike Braun. Look at this, guys. The Real Clear Politics average shaping up to be a very close race, according to the polls. And, Tim, I'll start with you since we talked about your column in there and this notion that uh, Joe Donnelly isn't quite on the same uh, page as a Bernie Sanders and doesn't necessarily probably like the fact that Bernie Sanders came here to Indiana to talk about single-payer health care. Well, Joe Donnelly is not Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. But uh, I think in a Republican state, which Indiana is, uh, it hurts him to be affiliated with those other senators. Um, and that's, that's working against him. He's trying very, very hard to differentiate himself. That's why you, we're seeing the ads where he's bashing members of his own party. We've got the debate coming up this week. All three Senate candidates meet for the final time on the debate stage two days from now, Tuesday night, here in Indianapolis. What do you expect we'll see from the candidates on Tuesday? Uh, more desperation from Joe Donnelly. He literally is blowing in the wind, as, as Mike Braun has pointed out in his latest ad. He is walking that fine line, probably losing support and energy on, uh, from his base, and definitely turning off independents, which don't, uh, folks that don't believe that he's going to stand with the president because he's, he's going to be beholden to Chuck Schumer and, and his Democrat liberal allies, and, and they're not buying what he's trying to sell right now. This is the week that we are seeing Mike Braun make that pass, and I said he's a, he's a great closer, and that's what's going to happen, I think, in the next nine days. I think Tony's got his talking points down pat. There's a lot of hyperbole in his commentary. I mean, I think you can be a little bit more balanced in how you approach that. It's coming down to the wire. Both of the candidates are fairly energized right now, but I think you'll see Joe Donnelly, you know, predicted two big issues in this race, jobs and then common sense health care. And we see in the next 10 days, the last 10 days, our president's going to be pivoting to both of those issues, too, as he's looking to keep majorities in our Congress. So we'll see what happens, but it's nose to the grindstone time. Speaking of debates, we've also been talking about the lack of debates in one key congressional race, the ninth district race between Congressman Trey Hollingsworth and Democrat Liz Watson, and we spoke with them about that in recent days. Accepted. Uh, why not? Well, it's exactly what Hoosiers don't want to see. Liz Watson wants a spectacle. She wants a circus. She saw the circus two weeks ago in Washington that Hoosiers rejected, and she wants more of that circus. You don't think Hoosiers want to see a debate? Oh, what, what I think they don't want to see is the circus. I think debates are part of democracy, a free exchange of ideas. Look, uh, I've had enough of the bickering in Washington. You know, he comes uh, out of that and he doesn't understand that civility in politics requires showing up. 
and having an open exchange of ideas. Look, we're not all going to agree on the solutions, and that's okay, but we need to talk about the problems because we've got real problems here in the ninth. So I have offered to show up uh, to discuss the issues with him. And we have been on many occasions asked by bipartisan groups, nonpartisan groups uh, to have debates. And he's either declined or failed to respond uh, to every single request. All right, more of that interview next week and on our website. Uh, Tim, quickly, what do you think of that situation there in the Ninth District? No debates in that particular race. I think candidates should debate. I think the public needs to hear uh, opposing viewpoints and candidates need to be put on spot and ask tough questions. It's unfortunate. It's not just in the Ninth. There are other districts that's happening as well, and that's unfortunate. A lot more news to cover this week. We mentioned the Curtis Hill uh, situation earlier in the broadcast. We'll talk more about that on our podcast, and we'll have much more coming up right after this. Stick around. Well, it's the first thing you'll see on the ballot this year. It's called Question 1, dealing with whether Indiana's Constitution should be amended to require the General Assembly to adopt balanced budgets that don't exceed estimated revenues. Some confusion over this after some postings on social media suggesting this could one day mean pensions would be on the line. But this week, the amendment's author, former State Senator Brant Hirschman, tells me that's not the case at all. The fact is that it's 180 degrees the opposite. The language in the amendment makes sure that the General Assembly has to fund, fully fund, pensions first, protecting our teachers and our policemen and our firefighters. The amendment has already passed two separate votes of the General Assembly, so it would go into the state's constitution if approved by voters. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers, coming up next. All right, time to wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tim. Uh, my winners are the four brave women who stood up at a press conference last week and said we're not going to stand for what Curtis Hill did. Tony. My winners are Brant Hirschman for that brilliant explanation, but uh, more seriously, uh, law enforcement, the FBI, and local authorities that were able to catch the, the jerk sending the bombs. All right, Christina. Um, thank you for your words, Tim. I agree with you on those four women leaders who stood up for themselves and for all women. Also, I appreciate your words about the FBI and law enforcement. I'd only add Joe Donnelly, who continues to run through the tape. And obviously the final debate coming up this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Much more on our podcast. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, so much more to discuss on our podcast this week. And, and obviously, we, we started out our panel segment talking about uh, the week that was, the arrest in this uh, case involving the suspicious devices, uh, attempted explosives, whatever you call them. Uh, this, was, uh, th this was a pretty frightening week, obviously. A lot of headlines in the news and a lot of discussion now about where, where we are as a country and, and how we move forward from this point in time. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people have in mind is, is this the first of many incidents to come? You know, many people on the right and not. left yeah. are just feeling the winds of change. So we had really a, a sense of order and calm for a number of years post-Vietnam War where, you know, we had 9-11 with some other really terrible incidents but, but for you the had most a lot part of violence like this back in the 60s yeah but for the most the part era, it's been right. uh, the public sentiment has been fairly consistent and comfortable wars have been fought other places off our shores um, we've been relatively prosperous but now i think people are beginning to see that this time might be coming to an end things are changing we seem to be you know living in a world full of bond villains and it just doesn't feel like it always did. And I think 
everyone's sort of hoping that this isn't what's next. It's an anomaly. Tim, what's your takeaway? I know we had a conversation on the, on the program about yeah, who's I hope, to blame I hope for people this, see this as an opportunity to step back. Thankfully, nobody was injured by uh, any of the packages that were, were mailed this week. And, and I think we need to take it as a warning um, that it, it could have been so much worse than what it was. Um, we, we don't know why that individual sent those packages. Um, and in some regards, it doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, I think we can all step back, I hope, and say, you know, let's look, let's look at what we're saying, how we're saying it, the types of behavior that we seem to be encouraging. And I would say this is happening on the left and the right. Uh, we talk a lot about the, what the president says, and I'm not defending his rhetoric by any means. But we've seen a lot on the left as well that is regrettable. You, you had the White House this week uh, referring back to the, the, the shooting involving Steve Scalise, and that was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, and obviously a lot of people this week pointing to uh, this uh, gentleman's potential motivations and the Trump uh, stickers and everything that was on his uh, truck that they uncovered. Um, look, these are obviously people who, who aren't uh, stable involved in these kinds of incidents, right? But does the rhetoric, does the rhetoric inflame them? Um, something inflames them to the point of doing this. So the, there's rhetoric you know, out there, um, social media, this guy was a criminal, um, not to, to this level in the past that, that we know of, um, but something got him to this point. Um, what I'm equally concerned about, uh, not just these big incidents, these types of things, but just the daily rhetoric, the daily harassment of, of folks on the left and the right by, by, um, by people that are trying to make a point or encouraged by, by um, whoever's leading their group or, or, or folks on social media. That's not okay either because that leads to, you know, a retaliation and, and worse. It is, I mean, this is my opinion, uh, I think a lot of people share this, but lately over these last two years, the left has become unhinged. Now, this person maybe had right leanings, but the left and just daily harassment of officials, and we see it time and time again, um, something's got to gotta, gotta change. Well, I'm someone on the campaign trail. Um, I remember a day I was going door to door with my mom, and this um, elderly gentleman told us to get down on our knees and pray because we had blood on our hands and et cetera, et cetera. It only got worse from there. there there's bad behavior on the left and right. and. What I challenge us to do, each and every one of us, no matter what your political inclinations are, is accept that you have a role. And we can all be leaders in this regard and treat each other better. And that's something that I appreciate about this program and my colleagues, Tony and Tim and, and talk everybody. talk these things, yeah. Cordially. Yeah, and right. we yeah. can respectfully disagree, even when we completely, totally disagree. Um, it's, it's with that spirit of respect and, and empathy and, and understanding, even when we don't um, see eye to eye. And I appreciate my colleagues for, for taking on that role and responsibility. It's important. And for the most part, Indiana has kind of had that sort of political history. When I say, look, it's not um, folks here in Indiana. Yeah. I mean, Indiana, I think we're, for whatever reason, above all that. Hopefully that doesn't change. There was To this, some degree. To, to some, some degree. I, you know, I've, I've covered politics for more than 30 years now. It, things have changed in the last few years. And, and again, I'm not, it's on the left and the right. Uh, I think there's far less uh, tolerance for criticism of your tribe. Um, and people go 
uh, to an extreme in their reaction to criticism much quicker these days. Uh, we have a long tradition of criticizing our political leaders and cri certainly criticizing presidents. I think today uh, people see that criticism as somehow uh, tied to um, you know who you are as a person. They take it personally. They take criticize it personally. my president, you're criticizing, criticizing me. me. Right. Yes, it's, it's, you're criticizing my tribe. And I think that tribalism that's grown in our politics in recent years is, is a fairly new phenomenon. And if we subtract the politics away from this new normal, we can see it showing up in other ways. You know, even if you just go back to the year 2000 when we celebrated the millennium, I mean, we've got uh, access to hyper-realistic, extremely violent video games. We have um, uh, a, a culture where um, our youth are seeing youth-to-youth -youth violence at unprecedented levels. It's now the new normal that teenagers expect active shooters to come into their schools. It's their new normal that they go through magnetometers and worry about weapons in school. And, you know, there are a lot of harsh realities. I think we worried about the next big bomb getting dropped on us and having, yes. you know, nuclear attack drills. They're worried about somebody coming in and blowing their brains out. This is scary, and we are coarsening in a number of ways, whether it's our rhetoric or how we treat each other on social media, but it's also dehumanizing. And if you go and you look at someone like uh, Robert Putnam, who, you know, whose book Bowling Alone, he's describing, too, how mediums of, of communication, as they distance us, we no longer have the public square where we are together, you know, person to person. We're um, shouting each other down via Taking the Internet. On yeah, on Twitter. Exactly. It's easy to dehumanize your enemy when you're not facing your enemy and living with them in your neighborhood. I think it's a very good point. And, and I, you know, I, I, I work in the media, uh, and I think most journalists try very, very hard to, to um, do their job at a high level. But I, I do see things in, in the news uh, that give me cause for concern. Uh, in the last week or so, there's been a lot of coverage of of the caravan that's coming north from Central America to the point of excess, I think. It's a news story, it's worth covering, but... Something I, I, the uh, Trump administration and Republicans focused on quite a bit in the early part of this week. Yes, and, and, and it's, Got it's a lot sometimes of media, painted a, a lot as, of media you know, attention. this invasion. Uh, and whatever you think about illegal immigration, our immigration policies and all of that, I mean, these, these are desperate people who are still hundreds of miles away from our country. Uh, and it's it's sometimes covered as a crisis, and it's not. Kind well, of like that Ebola crisis that was a, coming that it's never came. Certainly a potential well, crisis. Well, <laughs> and this yeah. has happened. This isn't the first caravan, and now there's a second. At least that's what we've heard forming, and a third. Uh, it, it it is a crisis. I mean, the whole uh, uh, problem. It's an issue. At the I don't know if it's a crisis. I think it's the, an the, issue. The ongoing um, uh, problems at the border are a crisis, a serious issue, however you want to put it. So. I think it has to be taken very seriously because of all the reasons that you know, you're, you're hearing about, but there are the potential for dangerous folks in that caravan, not, not even if, uh, even if there, there aren't. Uh, these folks that will come in illegally can commit crimes. And what makes me sick is when somebody here gets killed by a drunk driver or, or an act of violence or whatever and that person should have never been in this country in the first place, and it happens all the time. Well, let me say first, we're a nation of immigrants, and even when you just Legal cast... Legal immigrants, absolutely. When you cast that as 
problems at the border rather than problems with immigration or, you know, there are, we have to dig down and what are the reasons why this is happening and, and look at the human aspect of this because we're also leaders as Americans, leaders of the free world. We also need to be a hand for help and lifting people up and teeing them up for success. We, and we, there are ways to do that sure. that are more thoughtful. And when we we discount that and we don't bring these other issues into the conversation. We just say, oh, they can't come in because they're going to commit crimes. Well, you know what? If you talk to the Indiana farming community, please don't interrupt me. If you talk to the Indiana farming community, they will tell you that illegal immigrants are necessary to keeping food prices down at the supermarket and that we need to be more thoughtful is how we look at these kinds of issues and not just so reactionary. When we mentioned this becoming an issue, the Broad Campaign did, uh, in fact, send out a statement on Friday um, criticizing Senator Donnelly for not doing uh, enough um, uh, on the issue of illegal immigrant illegal immigration, as uh, they put it in this uh, press release, as uh, this caravan barrels through Mexico to illegally enter the United States. It's definitely an issue that has uh, ginned up a lot of political talk it, this week. It is a, it's a legitimate issue. We need to have a, dis a serious discussion. What, what I'm trying to say is the tone of that discussion matters a great deal. Um, Going back to the first part of the conversation, right, tone, the tone exactly. of our, of and, our rhetoric. And when, and when we see you know, 7,000 people or however many people it is now uh, painted as a horde of invaders, which is some of what we're hearing, that's not. That's just not the truth, and it's and it's not an imminent danger. They're still hundreds of miles away. We don't know what's going to happen between now and when, if they ever make it to the border. Well, they're making they're making it every day. There's a thousand folks that are illegally crossing our border every day. The folks that are uh, seeking asylum, eighty percent of them, after if they do have a court date, get sent back because they didn't qualify for asylum. This is happening every day. Sure, a lot of them are, are, are working and some are doing jobs that Americans aren't doing, but we've got to change the system. We've got to fix the problems with immigration and Congress has to do that. The problems mm -hmm. with immigration, yeah. I agree with you, but when you frame it as the problems at the border, that's a false narrative well, when, because the facts are, the facts are, the facts are, Tony, I'm speaking. Day, yeah, and, but I, no, I the facts are this. that there are more, in, there are more, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. You're ignoring that fact. What I think the fact is that you're ignoring is that more illegal immigration is a problem with people coming here on airplanes and overstaying their visas. It's not a problem. At, it is Both. a much more minor, minor problem at our borders than it is the people that come in on airplanes. I mean, it's it's clearly a rhetorical spin that's got politically politically okay. motivated. Well, that's uh, I'm disagreeing with you. We're disagreeing. That's fine. There's plenty, uh, you know, that are uh, in in your camp saying what you're saying. It's it's a it's a major issue. I don't know um, what the election will uh, bring about. It, it's a matter of turnout, but it's going to continue to be an issue. I, and I, I disagree that it's, I think you're minimizing it. Basically. Well, I think, Tony, you can always count on me to let you finish your thought before <laughs> I jump in to say, I don't agree with you. And I think that's only there respectful. Yeah. I, I, I would point out you're that right. we have two U.S. Senate candidates who both support boarding, bo building, building a border the wall. wall. You're right. Which is that came up in the first of, debate. Which yep. is a sign of that this is, this is a, an issue that gets a lot of attra attraction in Indiana. People do care about this issue. 
I think it has to be addressed. Again, going back, I think how we address it is really important. Okay. Let's also talk, and, and we may disagree on this as well, about one of the stories in, in the news this week here in Indiana. Obviously, the inspector general and the special prosecutor in the Curtis Hill case coming out and uh, finding that uh, there are no criminal charges in this particular case. Uh, Tim, you, you wrote this past week about, about this in the IndyStar.com. The question, obviously, uh, to pose here is, uh, did Curtis Hill, some have suggested, get special treatment in this case? Well, I, I think he got special treatment in the sense that uh, investigators did not sit down with him face to face. He was allowed to submit a video uh, for his testimony, and then his attorneys responded to written questions in response to that video. I, I would submit that most ordinary citizens would never be uh, given that courtesy. Uh, the special prosecutor said that the fact that Curtis Hill is the attorney general prompted him to, to handle it that way. Christina, what were your thoughts on this week? With Curtis Hill? Yeah. Well, I was very glad to see that the four women have stepped up really to uh, uh, demonstrate the truth of the story that there absolutely was what's been deemed as creepy behavior and that it's not okay. Right now, we are telegraphing to our young girls all around the country that, you know, you don't really have much recourse in these situations when you have empowered people um, committing these kinds of crimes or at least exhibiting this kind of behavior. Whether it, what, no matter how you feel about the Kavanaugh case, for example, it's also telling girls, you know, when you step up to report, people might not listen to you and they might not treat you very well all the time. So this is an ongoing conversation that I think is necessary and... Right now, the pendulum's kind of swinging too far both ways, and we have to find a way in the middle to be able to stand up um, when it's time, when it's appropriate, when these crimes happen to say, or even if it's not to the level of a crime, to say, this isn't right. Tony, you were there that night. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Uh, the Attorney General, does he feel vindicated uh, after the news of this week? Um, I think to some degree, the, I think the uh, report, and I've read it all, I'm sure you guys have too, um, was very thorough. Um, it was very clear, and it was clear that um, the allegations didn't rise to any criminal activity. Another thing to point out here is that the special prosecutor mentioned uh, that the attorney general didn't deny in his investigation that this actually happened, which is a bit of a change from what the Attorney General had been saying initially, that it, it this is. did not even take place. It is. So the special prosecutor, it was one of the things that came out of the press conference, the special prosecutor said that Curtis Hill acknowledged that he did touch these women. Um, I think he would argue, uh, Tony, you might be able to, he would argue that it didn't something? cross the yeah. line. The women said that it did cross the line. Uh, but I think what we, we have an agreement now that's, that there was physical contact made uh, without permission. He never, um, he hasn't changed his story. He just didn't have the opportunity or, or was waiting for the investigation to, to share anything. Um, and you're right, I was there. I can tell you, I've thought this through every which way, you know, for the last several months. I can tell you that um, he offended people just by his presence because there are political agendas at work. I think you'll see it in the next week that there will, this will be politicized even more than it has been. Um, and him talking to anybody in a crowded place, and, and he's the kind of person that does. I mean, on my back and my shoulders, when I've been uh, just you know, uh, talking to him, he'll have his hand on my back and my shoulders. That's the way that um, 
He is a gregarious, a friendly guy. Um, nothing that I saw and apparently nothing that the special prosecutor found was rising to the level of uh, any kind of sexual or um, uh, criminal intent or uh, anything that um, uh, showed any kind of bad behavior. I think it's really important to point out that the Inspector General in her report interviewed both Republicans and Democrats who described what they said was out of control, in some type cases creepy behavior by Indiana's Attorney General, that one of the four women is a Republican staff member. This is not a partisan attack on Curtis Hill. And Republicans, uh, the governor and others have said they continue to uh, call for his resignation, though he appears to obviously have no uh, intention to step down. Yes, and this is a special case because, uh, you know, I'm not Curtis Hill. I don't know what his intention was. So if he's talking to me with his hand on my back, it might feel very different when I'm a young junior staffer. And that's the attorney general touching me. It's intimidating just by virtue of, of his positional leadership role. So people in power, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with an office. And when you are an elected leader, you know, sometimes you have to hold yourself to that higher standard. So maybe you don't show up at AJ's and, and drink with everyone else and kind of party with the interns because by virtue of who you are and what position you hold, you might even and I'm, I don't know if this was intentional or inadvertent, I wasn't there, but I can tell you, you might cause inadvertent, um, difficult messages for junior people just because of who you are. True, but, but, but and I would say it, it rises above that because we have, first of all, four women uh, who have come forward in public to say that uh, this was not just a casual brush, right? They, uh, the Inspector General's report said that, that one woman, at least one woman left the bar in tears because of Curtis Hill's behavior, that women went to other women, in some cases men, in the bar and asked for protection that night, that men sitting at the bar observed what was going on and, and offered to intervene. I mean, it, it, was a, it, it was not just one person who may or may have, may have misread intentions. There were multiple people, multiple witnesses who saw what was going on and said, this is wrong. And let me be very clear. I believe those women, one of those women is a very dear friend of mine who is honest and honorable and true. Um, they all are, but uh, one in particular is a very good friend of mine. And I have to say, uh, I'm not, my prior comments, I'm not excusing anything. I'm only saying for all people in elected leadership, consider who you are and what your position is before you put yourself into a situation where these things kind of happen. And I, the stats are very clear. You know, I think more than 90% of the time, these things happen when alcohol is involved at night. And um, there is certain wisdom in staying away. Um, if you want to be very clear what your intentions are, don't be in those situations. The special prosecutor also said he, he believed the four women, but he, he also mentioned the alcohol uh, perhaps as a reason uh, why there wasn't enough well, clear I, evidence to, to bring charges. I would say, after reading um, the report, the special prosecutor didn't just say he believed the women. He said he looked at it as believing all sides, every witness uh, or uh, all the parties involved. And that's what you do in the jury system. You instruct the jury to go into uh, uh, the, the case believing and then 
deliberating and looking, weighing the evidence and all that. So the prosecutor looked at it the same. Um, he found the women to be credible in what they believed, but he didn't have to try to um, uh, reconcile the differences between what Curtis Hill said and the women because the, what the women did allege didn't rise to the, the criminal no, That's level. not true. That's not true. What the prosecutor said was that in his judgment, uh, this would have been a misdemeanor and it was not worth uh, taxpayer uh, expense to go to court in a long process to prosecute a misdemeanor. He did not say it would have been a misdemeanor. He said that was the closest that he could charge. He ruled out sexual battery. Right. He ruled out uh, the battery and that could have been but, a but he, misdemeanor. But he, specifically, battery, but he never said that it was. He said that's the closest that he could have gone for, but he wasn't going to uh, put, put you know, everything through that process not being unsure that he could get that connection. Yeah, w w look, w w wherever th this lands now, and we'll go back and, we'll go back and look at the I've tape, it, right? Um, the 2020, what happens? Uh, this is a Republican Party, the governor, the party chair, uh, who it still says they want the attorney general to step down. Uh, obviously, the attorney general position is one that is not uh, nominated by primary. It's nominated by the party leaders. Uh, what's going to happen here? 2020, does the Republican Party just pick a new candidate for attorney general? How does this all play out in the end? I, th I think in all likelihood, yes. I mean, it is, you know, it's going to be the governor and, and other people in positions of leadership saying we cannot have this person representing our party on you the ballot. You don't think the legislature will make any attempt to impeach the attorney general? I think they if, should, but I think it's probably there be no criminal I charges think, I think they won't. I think it'll be discussed, and, and, and I think there's at least three Democrats that are going to push for it. Um, you'll see that more, I think, before the election and after. But I don't. I disagree on it. If he wanted to run again in 2020, um, I mean, he has been cleared of the charges. Uh, he has a, a good explanation. There's a different story uh, than what, what's been portrayed but we in the really media. But we really have the support. But and, it's not just portrayed in the media. No, 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 the but, Inspector General but, of the state of Indiana. Yeah. The, look at that right, report. Right. But what I'm saying is, uh, Delegates, county chairman, uh, grassroots Republicans um, support Curtis Hill for the most part. Maybe not everybody, but conservatives support Curtis Hill. There could be a floor they, fight they over think, this. They think that he got a, Two a, years a bad now. deal out of this. We we'll haven't see. seen the end of this. We will hear more discussion from the floor of the state house in an official capacity, um, probably by both parties, but certainly by Democrats. They won't let it go. Not when one sitting member happens to be in the chamber That's as true. well. And, and, and of course, uh, now a House Speaker who's also uh, facing some, um, some recent allegations in, in the news. We were talking uh, a minute ago about Speaker Bosma and his race uh, for re-election. He's actually got a lot of ads up, Tim, right now on TV and, and on the radio. He has, and I'm not sure how to read that, whether that's just a, a precaution uh, of protecting against a possible upset or if he's seen something that hasn't concerned. Interesting. Obviously, it's a it's a district speaker Bosma's that is uh, that is obviously uh, conservative leaning because it juts out into rural portions of Hancock County and also has a, a number of um, more urban suburban areas as well. Um, what what are we going to see there? His opponent, his opponent Poonam Gill, um, has been working incredibly hard and has a strong team of volunteers. They're out knocking on doors and communicating uh, with voters every day. Uh, I imagine Speaker Bosma's worried. Um, he has not, to my knowledge, in the recent, you know, 
three, four, five election cycles gone up on TV because he hasn't had to. So I think this is a significant change. I also know um, Senator Jim Merritt has gone up um, on TV with negative ads against his opponent as well. And there's been a lot of advertising in the uh, in the 29th Senate District too as well with uh, State Senator Mike Delph and J.D. Ford. A lot of things to watch for between now and Election Day. We've got to leave it there. So many things to talk about this week. Tim Swearens, Tony Samuel, Christina Hale. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We Thank appreciate you. it. Well, much more next week.